Hi, this is Christian Coon of Urban Village Church in Chicago. I'll start off today by apologizing for the sound quality of this week's podcast. I'm uh, actually on a, a couple-of-day retreat, and I don't have my fancy podcast microphone with me, so I'm just recording this through my computer. So my apologies for the less-than-stellar sound quality this week. But hopefully I can say something that will make it worth it. <laughs> we are finishing up our sermon series on healing and wholeness. And the text that I'll be reading from today comes from the Gospel of John. This is uh, chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 2 through 9. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bezetha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, He said to him, Do ye want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So in thinking about healing for these last few weeks, I've thought about what have been ways that we find healing when we are faced with a discomfort or pain or suffering. Certainly when we have physical ailments, we'll go to the doctor, but if we are feeling um, sickly emotionally or spiritually, I know there are many in our church who have been struggling with the election results There are some tried and true things like comfort food or comfort music or going to be with uh, friends. But I also was thinking about how have people throughout history found healing? So the great thing about the internet, of course, is that you can Google um, old-time healing um, results or old-time ways to find healing. And my good friend BuzzFeed gave me a website or an article that said, 14 very unfortunate medical treatments that actually used to exist. Two of the more interesting ones that I found was, one was called a hemoglossectomy. And that means that for stutterers, many years ago, they would cut off half or part of the tongue in order to uh, cure someone of stuttering. Another one was that cocaine was once used for an anesthetic for pain. This was used for tooth and gum disease, hay fever, depression, and it was used up until the early 1900s when doctors realized that, you know, I think this might be incredibly addictive. There were others, too, that I won't go into, some of which are pretty gross uh, and make you even more uncomfortable, perhaps. But we read these and we may laugh or chuckle at our silly ancestors, but I'm sure 100 years from now, people will look back at what we used to treat pain and wonder, what were they thinking? Well, when we feel pain, again, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, the natural reaction is that we will do anything to make it go away as quickly as possible. No one likes to sit in their suffering. No one likes to sit in their pain thinking, well, this this will help me grow. This will stretch me. I'm just going to stay in this for as long as possible. No, for the most part, we want it to go away, so we will turn to things that we think will 
make things all better. And I think certainly we saw this in the election for those who were felt like they were mistreated, that they had been left out. They felt like, I'm going to vote for the candidate who will make things better. But is that really the best way to find healing? Is that the way that's going to bring about sustained healing for us as individuals, as a country? So today we wanna, I want to explore some of these questions. How do we find healing? And are there other places that we can go that we might not think of immediately? Are there surprises in the way that we can find healing? Well, let's take a look at this man in this passage today from the Gospel of John. It's important, I think, to note a couple things. First of all, the text tells us, uh, it didn't tell us in the reading I did, in verse 1, John 5, it says that there's a festival going on right now in Jerusalem. The text doesn't tell us exactly what festival, but one historian, Jewish historian, a man named Josephus, I don't know how he figured on this, but he believed that there could have been as many as 2.7 million people who would come to Jerusalem at this time for any number of festivals. So imagine that just this massive amounts of people coming into Jerusalem for this festival. And the text tells us, too, that there is a place called Bethzatha. And actually, we know that there, or archaeologists have found what this location looked like. They have unearthed it, and you can begin to pull to put together some of the things, some of the structures of what it was at the time. Now, scholars, what they can piece together is that people would go to this pool thinking that this was a place of healing. The waters in this pool would bubble up periodically. We don't know if this was because of something happening in the earth or whatever, but people believe that there were angels who were stirring up these waters. And the belief was that whoever got to the water first, they were the ones to be healed. So for people who were experiencing physical ailment, physical suffering, for them, the belief was, if I go to this pool, and when the waters bubble up, first one in, that's how they will get healed. So we have this man, the text tells us, that he has been ill for 38 years. And we see here that he is by this pool, hoping to get well, trying desperately to figure out a way, how can I get into this pool first? This is the context when Jesus enters the scene. Now again, we can imagine, because of the festival, because there are so many people who have gathered in this place, you can imagine this is pretty crowded. Jesus, for whatever reason, looks at this man. And this is the man that he approaches, and he asks this really powerful question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? This is one of the most powerful questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels. Now, I think for most people, if they're suffering, the immediate answer is, of course, why wouldn't I want to be made well? But I think the way Jesus asks it, it should cause all of us just to pause. Do I want to be made well? Perhaps the next question is, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to go through in order to be made well? That's a good question, too. But Jesus asks this man, do you want to be made well? And his first response is to give him the reasons that he has not been made well. Now, I have to confess something. When I've read this text in the past, I always 
had somewhat of a negative picture of this man. I thought he was just maybe using this as an excuse and that he had come to believe that his ailment was what defined him. And he would tell, or he told Jesus, you know, I would like to, but there's this thing with the water and people get in front of me and I just can't get there. And when I read it this time, and again, read some of the historical background, I realized he may very well have been trying to get to the water. He believed that you have to get to that water first when it starts to bubble up, and he had no one to take him there. So he may very well wanted to get well, but because of his circumstances, he wasn't able to. So in his mind, I can be made whole by going to the pool. For him, that was healing. And then Jesus comes along, asks him a question, whether he wants to, the man lets him know, these are the barriers between me and healing. And then Jesus is the one who heals him. Not the waters, it's Jesus. The text doesn't tell us if this surprised the man. Had we responded later on, some of the religious authorities asked him about it, and he just kind of stated the facts. And he would say, they said, tell us about what happened. And the man said, we told them kind of, well, this is what Jesus said to me. This is how he responded. This is how it all went. It doesn't say anything about whether the man was surprised at all, but I have to believe he went through a pretty big change in his life. What he thought was healing, the waters, turned out to be incorrect. It was something completely different. It was this man who picked me out out of so many who were gathered here. This is the one who healed me. I reflected on this a lot this week and all the different ways that I try to find healing, some of which are very legitimate. Again, whether we go to the doctor or we find comfort in certain things, if we are struggling with any number of ailments, we may go to some things initially, but how often do we really think and reflect on, if I go to Jesus for my healing, Am I willing to be surprised, as this man was surprised? This man assumed he knew what it meant to be healed. And there was surprise in there. Turns out that it wasn't what he thought it was. For those of us who go to Jesus for healing, we may think that we know exactly what will take place in order to be healed. And we may not leave ourselves open to the surprise that may come about or an alternative way for us to be healed that we never thought possible. We may have in our minds, this is what it means to be healed. And we don't allow for the fact that it might be something else. I should say that when we come to Jesus, so often I think people assume that when we come to Jesus for healing, that it will be either an easy answer, or it will come quickly, or it will be comforting. And we fail to realize that sometimes when we come to Jesus for healing, it may actually take us to places that may make us even more uncomfortable. If you keep on reading this text after we stop today, we realize that Jesus has healed this man on a Sabbath, which upsets the religious authorities. And in fact, in verse 18, let me read this to you, it says, For this reason the Jews, and when they say the Jews here, it means the religious authorities, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, thereby making himself equal to God. So when Jesus heals, he literally has people who want to kill him for it. 
So this is the one that we go to for healing. So we probably should think twice when Jesus asks us, do you want to be made well? I hope the answer is yes, but we also must pause and reflect deeply on what we are saying yes to and opening ourselves up for something that may take us down a different path than we had originally intended. We see this in two different ways, I think, in our society. We see this in the church, and we see this in individuals. The church, especially for churches that are known as the, the mainline denominations, uh, churches like the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, there have been many, many articles written about the decline of the church. It's not just mainline churches. It's other uh, churches, too, like the Southern Baptists, which have a different theological outlook than some of the mainline congregations or denominations. There's a decline. And so churches are reaching and looking for anything that will help them to stem the tide of decline. And when then Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? And their initial response is, yes, let's try this program or let's try this thing over here. And they don't always open themselves to surprising ways that churches might be healed. We see that sometimes people come to Urban Village and they want the easy answer for how to reach younger generations. But I was reading a really fascinating article this week about a new church that started in the Memphis, Tennessee area, a church called Grace Place United Methodist. It has all of the trappings of a traditional church. It has a choir. It has women who uh, knit and crochet and sell these things for mission uh, they have Bible studies, all they have worship, they have all the things that you would think of that make up a church that brings in members. But the interesting thing is this all takes place in a prison. And that's what makes it interesting, it, what makes it unique. It takes place at the Mark Luttrell Correctional Center for Women in Memphis. And I was reading about this and reading, and I was so inspired by what the women in this church, inside this prison, are doing. Not only all the things that one does when you're a part of a church, but also I was impressed with their stewardship. So they, as I noted, they do this, uh, they have a crochet group, and they have cookbooks, and they sell these things for mission. I'll put this list up on the Podbean page uh, in 2013, they gave about $2,000, over $2,000, to different missions around Tennessee, around the world. So, for example, they would give $100 to the United Methodist Committee on Relief. They gave $100 to a local preschool. They had $200 for Thanksgiving and Christmas giving to people who needed this at this time of the year. And I was reading through all of these wonderful things that this church was doing, and I wonder... Are churches who are in need of healing, are they open? Are they opening themselves up to the surprising way that they might be healed by looking at a place they wouldn't necessarily have thought possible? Are they looking to a church inside a prison? Are they looking to them, perhaps, for their healing, rather than going to the fancy conferences and going to the, or buying the books and all these things? This is what will happen. Maybe they are missing something. Maybe they are not looking in areas that might surprise them. Maybe if they spend some time, let's let these women in this correctional facility lead us. What can we learn from them? I would imagine there are more than a few who think, oh, isn't that a great mission? But they don't submit themselves and say, what can we learn? How can they lead us? How can we be surprised in order to enact healing for us 
So churches need healing, but I think certainly individuals need healing too. I noted earlier about the election and people are still, especially in our context at Urban Village, there are many who are still struggling. They're still feeling broken. They are still wondering what steps to take next. They're feeling like there are promises that were not kept. They are, their eyes are open perhaps to the problems that are happening in this country. And so they wonder, what do I do? What's next for us? I think sometimes the problem is when we want to be healed individually and we look to things that are not of Christ in order <clears throat> for them to fix everything. So they will look for a political candidate. So regardless of whether you voted for Trump or Clinton or Johnson or Stein or Sanders or whomever, were people looking to one of these candidates thinking, well, if I vote for this person, then everything will be okay. Then I will be better. Then we'll be on the right track. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have had hope in a certain candidate. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, if you put all of your well-being, all of your future in a political candidate, friends, you are bound to be disappointed, regardless of how you voted. Because they will do things, they will disappoint you. What I am saying, perhaps, is that we put our hope in Christ for healing. And then, when we say yes, when we hear Jesus ask us, do you want to be made well? And we say yes, and then we step back and say, now how is this going to happen? I'm not sure. It may come about in a way that I didn't expect. And that takes an enormous amount of faith and trust to believe that Christ is working in my life to be healed. I'm not putting all my hope in a political party, in a political candidate, in an issue. I'm putting my hope in Christ. The Christ that I find in the Gospels. The Christ that would reach out to those who are ignored and heal them. I'm looking to Christ and then I am stepping back and seeing what will happen now. Some of us at Urban Village gathered two days after the election to watch the documentary 13th. This really powerful documentary made by Ava DuVernay who made the movie Selma, directed the movie Selma. It's a documentary about mass incarceration in this country and the brokenness of it and the injustice of it. And I think when we gathered together to watch this documentary, many assumed that there would be people talking that we would expect, to be honest, people probably from the left. But then we were watching, and on Sunday I will be talking uh, or showing a picture up on the screen of two individuals. And then as we were watching, there was a man who came on who said this. He said, the objective reality is virtually no one who is white understands the challenge of being black in America. Let me read that again. The quote is this. The objective reality is virtually no one who is white understands the challenge of being black in America. And I will show this picture up on the screen. And there will be a picture of Van Jones, who is a lawyer, an activist who has worked to overturn injustices in our prison system. He has worked for environmental justice and environmental um, uh, the expansion of green jobs in our country. And then on the right is Newt Gingrich. And I don't have to tell you probably who Newt Gingrich is. And I'm going to show this picture. I'm going to say, who do you think said that quote? Now, you probably th the gut reaction is Van Jones said this. This is a man who's worked for reform in our prison industrial complex. But it was Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich said, the objective reality is no one, is virtually no one who is white understands the challenge of being black in America. And when he said that on the documentary, you could almost hear a gasp in the room. Newt Gingrich said this? 
that can't be possible. And so we kind of chuckled and then went on. And then I was listening to a podcast two days after this. David Axelrod, who used to be an advisor to uh, President Obama and now uh, is part of the um, Center for Public Policy at the University of Chicago, and he was doing an interview with Van Jones. And I was listening to this podcast. It was really helpful for lots of reasons. And Van Jones started talking about his relationship with Newt Gingrich. And he said that, I disagree with Newt 99 out of 100 things. And we fight because we believe differently. But he also talked about that, there, that he has a little bit of hope that Newt Gingrich may be in the inner circle of Donald Trump. I have no idea what role he will play in a Trump administration. And I listened to this again, and I had to kind of rub my ears a little bit. I said, is he saying what I, what I think he's saying? Newt Gingrich? Again, he emphasized, we disagree, Newt and I disagree on almost everything. But on this issue, perhaps, this is one way that we can come together, and that Van Jones is trying to keep that relationship going and keep the conversation going. And I said to myself, could it be possible that Newt Gingrich is a way for us to look at how bipartisanship can happen? Now, when I say this, I realize that lots of people are saying there is no way possible because they look at the things that he has stood for, the Gingrich has stood for, and so on and so forth. And I get that. And you may not be at a place, I, I don't want to even talk about bipartisanship, I'm still feeling hurt and angry, and I hear all of those things, and I am not saying that this was what happens sometimes. We read on Facebook, people are saying, oh, just don't worry about it, it'll all work out, um, just get over it, we need to come together. There are way too many people who have been burned not only by this election, but have been ostracized and left out of our country for decades, if not centuries. And for people to say, just get over it, is insensitive at best, and um, dangerous at worst. But what I am saying, if you had at, told me the night of the election that Newt Gingrich might be a way in, I would never that thought that possible. And I still don't know if that's possible or not. But what it did was it just took a little, it was like Jesus saying, we need to be open to surprising ways that I'm still present. I didn't necessarily hear that it's through Newt Gingrich, but I did hear this sense, you have no idea. You have no idea how healing might take place. There are some tried and true ways, certainly, prayer, reading scripture, being in community, working for justice, those are tried and true ways, perhaps, that healing can take place. But also, are you open to other ways that wholeness might come about? If you are so focused on the things that you go to and know, and only those things, you are missing out on other ways that Jesus is working in this world, because it's unpredictable. We follow one, the disciples follow one, thought, this is the one who's going to bring it all about. This is the one who's going to bring us to power. He's the one who's going to overturn everything. And they followed this one to his death. He was crucified by the government. This is the one that they followed. That was not what they thought. But then the big surprise, of course, happened two days later when the tomb was empty and resurrection took place. Friends, we follow one who always overturns expectations, who always surprises us. Will you be open to the surprising ways that healing might take place in your own life? There are many ways that healing can happen, and I pray that you find those ways and look for them and see how they may happen in your own life. It may take time, 
and it may not happen in ways that you thought possible, but I believe it is. I believe it can happen. And so when Jesus asks us the question, do you want to be made well? Let us say yes. And then let us say, Lord, you can heal us. And I am open to seeing how that will take place. Trusting in you, the one who brings healing in unexpected and glorious ways. Amen. Well, friends, thank you once again for listening. And again, I apologize for the sound quality. Uh, but I hope this has been helpful for you. And that as we head into this Thanksgiving holiday, that you'll be safe and find time to, with uh, millions of others, will find a time of gratitude in your life. I pray for those for whom Thanksgiving will be difficult because of broken relationships. But I pray as we go into this Advent season that we might go into it with a, a time of openness. I will not be preaching next week. There will be no podcast, but I will be back in two weeks and we'll be sharing some reflections as we go into the Advent season. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. Be thou my wisdom and thou my